Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to be excellent parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. Lord, we want to do these things well. We want to live for you. We want to follow you. We want to shine for you. And we want to lead those who we have an influence in. We want to lead them well as also. So Lord, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would so overwhelm every one of us that we would have an idea of the kind of life that you would want us to live And Lord, some ideas on how to live it. Thank you that you didn't leave us to figure this stuff out on our own. Thank you for your word that leads us and guides us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells inside of us. Lord, help us to get this area of our life right. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome everybody who is here in the building today and also those who are watching us at home and online. Thanks for taking the time. We are in the middle of a series called Are We There Yet? And we are looking at four questions that every person needs a compelling answer to. We've looked at what's going to be the center of our life, what's going to be the character of our life. And one of the principles that's been throughout this is that you can't pass on something that you don't have. So you want to make certain that you have these things so you can pass these things on to your kids. And today we're going to talk about who or or do you want to spend the rest of your life with. We're going to try to help our kids navigate the minefield of dating. Now, now some of you are single, so this is for you. It's not just for your kids. Uh, Some of you are married. You're going to look at these things and say, wish I'd have done these before I got married. No, I'm just kidding you. We're not going to look at that that way. Uh, Some of you are grandparents. You can invest in these things in your your children as well. And start these things as early as you can. I would say around 8, 9, 10 years old. That's very important. Wisdom of kids is a great thing, though, isn't it? And so uh, we saw a little video a few minutes ago about kids answering different questions. And so I found some myself. Let me, let me share some of them with you. This is Alan, age 10. The question was asked of him, how does a person decide who they should marry? This was his answer. He said, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff that you like. Like, if you like sports, she should like that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. So, <laughs> feel sorry for his wife Already at this young age, keep the chips and dip coming, honey. I have this. Ricky, age 11, how would you make a marriage work? This is his advice. He says, tell her your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. (laughs) Which really is kind of a compliment because trucks are gorgeous, to be honest with you. That Ford Raptor, that's an amazing looking vehicle right there. How about this one right here? Freddie, age 6, what's the right age to get married? This is, this is what he said. He said, no age is good to get married at. you got to be a fool to get married. <laughs> Already at age 6, the kid's giving up on love. It's just a sad tale. Let me give you one more. Pam, age 7, when's it okay to kiss someone? And this is what she said, when they're rich. So... <laughs> It's a very sharp young lady, I'll tell you that right now. Wisdom of kids. I wish I'd have had some wisdom along the way. I remember this one girl that I went steady with when I was in the fifth grade. Now, fifth grade, friends, I got to tell you something. Fifth grade, I was the man in fifth grade. I mean, that was the height of the social ladder for me. It was all downhill after that. But for one year, the stars aligned, and I was it. And there was this particular girl, her name was Rachel, and Rachel was in my class. She was also a girl that was at my bus stop. She also just lived right up the street in a dead end, and uh, Rachel kind of thought I was cute. Well, that's not surprising, because take a look at the picture of me in fifth grade. Do we have a picture of me? There I am right there. I mean, who can resist a bowl cut? I mean, that's a good time. 
So she thought I was cute, so she sent her friend over to talk to my friend, and my friend came over and said, hey, Rachel thinks you're cute. She wants to know if you want to go steady with her. Well, I didn't know if I wanted to go steady with her. I didn't really know Rachel well at all, and, and so I said, I don't, I don't care if I go steady with Rachel. And so he went back to her friend, and then she went back to Rachel, and before I knew it, I was going steady with Rachel. Well, the day goes on, you know how the elementary school relationships go. And I get to the end of the day, and my same friend comes up to me and says, Rachel's acting like a big shot because she's going steady with you. I said, oh, I did, I did not know that. He said, yeah, I think you should break up with Rachel. <laughs> Do you care if you break up with Rachel? I said, I don't care. And so he went to her friend and broke up with Rachel. And when Rachel heard that I had broken up with her, I kid you not, she put her head on her desk and she cried. Friends, I hadn't talked to that girl all day long. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I was like, what in the world is going on? Why is she crying? Well, then I got on the school bus to head back home, you know, get off on my bus stop. And the whole time I'm on the school bus, this girl is giving me the snake eye. I mean, she's staring at me. She's mad as hops at me. And I'm thinking, what in the world did I do? Well, I get off the bus, uh, the bus and I'm heading back home, just minding my own business, when all of a sudden I hear a sound. And it sounds like a helicopter Coming down for a landing, it's this sound. So I turned around to see what in the world was going on, and it was Rachel. And she was coming at me with her purse over her head. She was whizzing it around over and over and over again. And I said to myself, I said, self, I said, yeah, this is not good right here. And before I knew what to do, she hit me right across the side of my face with her purse. It was like a scene out of Braveheart, I tell you that right now. So I stumbled me. I fell to the ground. I couldn't feel the side of my face. So I stood back up again, tried to gain my composure. And she slapped me on the other cheek. And I thought, this girl has joined the crazy train right here. She's not only the conductor, she's the caboose as well. I got to get out of here. And so I ran to my house as fast as I could. I remember sitting on my bed going, what was that about? And that began my dating relationships. Not what you would call a very stellar start. Well, we look to the Bible for help, don't we? That's what we always do. We turn to the Word of God, and here's what's interesting. The Bible doesn't hardly talk at all about dating. Isn't that great? And the reason the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about dating because they didn't date in the Bible. In fact, here's the way it went. Parents, you're going to love this. The parents chose who the child was going to marry. Now, how many parents would like us to go back to the good old days of you picking because you think you can pick better than your kid could pick, right? I mean, you see the hands up here. Yeah. Yeah, I understand what you're talking about right now. My oldest daughter did good, but the other two, I'm like, well, I don't know about that. I'll tell you what. So we're going to look at dating. Now, even though we don't have a, a typical dating relationship in the Bible, uh, what we do have is, is a courtship that goes on between Jacob and Rachel. Now, we're going to do something fun with this. I saw Dave Stone do this. I thought we would play along and do the same thing. We're going to do some sound effects along the way as I tell the story, okay? And so when I get to a certain area of the story, I'm going to point to you, and you do your sound effect. So first is for the guys, and your sound effect is a little bit early on in the story, okay? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to whistle. Like when you see something that's attractive, I want you to, to wh make that kind of a sound. You know the <laughs> kind of sound, okay? So let's practice it. All the men, one Two, three. Some of you have got some practice with that, don't you, I tell you. All right, let, let's do it one more time. One, two, three. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, now, ladies, you've you got a different sound effect, all right? What, what do ladies do? What sound do you make when you see something that's precious, that's just sweet? What's that sound? 
thank you for doing it. I, I want to keep my masculinity as much as I possibly can. It said, oh, it's oh. I hear that all the time in my house, you know, with all the girls that I live with. Oh. So girls, let's hear yours, all right? One, two, three. <laughs> One more time. One, two, three. I think some of the guys joined in. We don't need your help, okay? Just the girls. For that particular one, that would be very, very, very good. And then the third sound effect is for all of us to do at the same time. And that's when you see something that's kind of gross and you're like, okay, got it? One, two, three. One, two, three. All right, let's go. We're going to go through it. Now, I point to you guys, you're first. Don't let me down, okay? You're going to do your sound effect twice, okay? Here we go. Genesis chapter 29, verse 6. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now, men, be ready here. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. <laughs> Nicely done. So Rachel is, the, I guess, the attractive one of the two sisters, Okay. Uh, now, here's what's interesting. The Bible generally, for, for the most part, never gives a description of the person. And so when the Bible stops and it gives a description of the person like it does with Rachel, what it's trying to say is, is this girl is smoking hot. One, two, three, guys. Here we go. Yeah, you got it. Now, Leah, on the other hand, wasn't as, 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 as attractive. Her best physical feature was that she had weak eyes. Now, we're not sure what that means. Could mean that she was cross-eyed. Could mean she was far-sighted. Could mean she was nearsighted. Maybe she just fell down an awful lot. I, I don't know. But they're trying to make it sound nice. She's just got nice eyes. That's she's got nice eyes. Now, gentlemen, let me ask you a question. If one of your friends sets you up on a date, a blind date, and you never met the girl before, and you say, hey, man, tell me what she looks like. He said, well, she's got weak eyes. <laughs> you wouldn't go on that date, right? That's the way it would be. Well, look at what happens here, verse 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he said, ladies, you're going to love this, I will work seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Do you hear the extravagance, the irrational side of love that's going on here? He's like, I like it. I love it. I want some more of it kind of thing going on here, all right? He says, I'll do anything for her. Seven years. I mean, I'll just work for her for seven straight years. And so the dad says, that sounds good to me. So this is what the Bible says. Get ready, ladies. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but the seven years, oh, you're going to love this. The seven years seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Yeah, it sounds romantic, doesn't it? Seven years. It was just like a few days. Yeah, whatever. Seven years is seven years, okay? Look at verse 21. This is what he says. This is after the seven years is over, Jacob now goes to his soon-to-be father-in-law, Laban, and look at what he says. Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. Not as romantic, is it, ladies, at that point? And this is where the last sound effect comes in. One, two, three. Ew, yeah, it's not good at all. Now, what's, what's going on here in this relationship? What, what, what's the fuel to the fire on this particular relationship? Is it love or is it lust? I mean, he sees her. He's like, wow, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. It's an irrational kind of a feeling that he has. He says, I'll work seven years for her. Seven years is just like a day. 
And then when he finally gets to that point, I want to lie with her. It was lust, wasn't it? That's what fueled this dating relationship was a lust for each other. It wasn't a love that was patient, a love that was kind, a love that wasn't easily angered. It was someone who was just head over heels with the idea of seeing someone and wanting to have that person be their own. Lust was what drove them. And and here's the interesting thing. In most dating relationships today, that's what drives them. It's lust. They're swiping through on these dating apps, and they're swiping left or swiping right or swiping up or swiping down. I don't know which way they're swiping, but they're figuring this thing out, right? And then they get together, and, and before they know it, they've... They've given themselves away on the very first date, and they don't even know the person. What, what, what is it that's happening to them? And among teenagers today, the same thing's going on. They, they see someone, they're attracted to someone, and lust is the fuel that, that brings the fire inside of them. And so they end up in situations that they shouldn't be in, doing things that they shouldn't do, hanging out with people they shouldn't hang out with. Listen, I don't, I don't think there's very many of us that wants our kids or our grandkids or our nieces and nephews to follow in the same footsteps that we went in. And so how do we help people? How do we help single folks? How do we help teenagers navigate these difficult minefields of, of dating so they don't end up with a lifetime full of regrets like so many of us have? Four little insights that I think is going to help you quite a bit. First two can also work for marriage. Last two are exclusive just for the dating relationship. First one is this. Write this down. Before you can find the right person, you have to become the right person. Let me say that again. Before you can find the right person, you have to become the right person. Then write this down as you're taking notes. Write this down. The greatest gift you can give your future spouse or your current spouse is to be a godly person. So the first question we had to ask ourselves is, before we go looking for somebody else to to be with, are are we where we need to be in our relationship with the Lord? Are we seeking the Lord our God with every fiber of our being? Are are we seeking his wisdom and his will? Are, Are we living the life that he would have for us to live? You see, here's what happens to a lot of folks is they think that I'm gonna get into a relationship and the person that I end up with is that person's gonna somehow complete me. And there's no person on the face of the earth that's ever going to complete you. But that's what happens in dating relationships, right? We get lonely. And as a result of getting lonely, we just want to have somebody in our life. And we think if I have somebody in my life, they'll take my loneliness away. Let me me ask you a question. And don't raise your hand because we'll all be too depressed. But how many of you know somebody who's married who's extremely lonely? Please don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. But there's, there's hundreds, thousands of marriages today where they, they are in the same house, they're engaging in great conversation, but they're empty inside, they're lonely inside, they thought their spouse was somehow going to fulfill them, going to satisfy them, and they're putting an expectation on their spouse that their spouse just can't fulfill. Friends, that's, I'm not saying that anybody married the wrong person. What I'm saying is, is when you look to your spouse to fulfill something that only Jesus can fulfill, you're setting yourself up for amazing amounts of disappointment. And that's what happens in Hollywood. That's happens in movies and TV shows. Somebody gets somebody. They begin dating. They have a relationship. It looks like it's great. It's wonderful. And now they are complete. Another person can't complete you. You were made by God and for God to have a relationship with him. And he's the only thing that will ever satisfy us. And the greatest gift you can give someone else 
is that you're pursuing Jesus Christ. And why is that the greatest gift? Because he gives you love when you don't have it. And he gives you peace when you don't have peace. He gives you patience when you don't have any patience. He gives you kindness when you don't have a kind word to say. Godliness, seeking after God with every fiber of your being, loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Do you remember the day when when Jesus was walking about and this guy comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And what he's basically asking is, is how do you know when you get to the end of your life that you did life well? And Jesus said, well, it's quite simple. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Love him with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and with all your soul. And when you love him and you seek after him, he will take care of everything else. So parents, here's, here's the first question you got to ask yourself when it comes to your teenager or, or young adult. This is the question you ask. Are you pursuing Christ? You see, here's what most people are doing. They're pursuing a hot bod rather than pursuing God. And they sound similar, but they're very different. And here's what we need to teach our kids. When you seek God, he'll also give you the hot bod. You don't have to settle for something less than. If you'll seek after God, he will give you the desires of your heart. Because your heart's desires will become his heart's desires. And he will, my goodness, if he can put every star in the sky and name them by name, he will crisscross your path with someone else who he has for you to be a partner with. With him being the center of that relationship. Where you can study the word of God together and you can pray together and you can seek God together. It's so important. Let me give you the second thing that's very important. We need to teach our kids to stop asking, who am I going to marry? And start asking, what kind of marriage do I want to have? Okay, first thing is, is you're seeking godliness yourself. So you're becoming the person so that you can treat your spouse the way that God created you to treat your spouse. And then the second thing, before you go looking for the person, you've got to have a vision for what kind of marriage you would like to have. Because when you have a vision of what kind of marriage you want to have, then you can find the right person that fits in the vision of your marriage. Does that make sense? So you've got to understand what you're shooting for, what you're going after. I was reading a book by Steve Farrar. It's called How to Ruin Your Life by the Age of 40. Highly recommend this book. He says, what, I, what do I want my marriage to look like 20 years after I've been married? That should be a homework assignment. If you're a single person, you need to go home and you need to think that through. What would you like your marriage to look like 20 years from now? Get a vision for the kind of marriage you want, and then you can find the person that would fit into that vision. So I I, I knew what I wanted. I knew I I wanted someone I could share my heart and my soul with. I I wanted someone who, uh, who loved God. And that I could do spiritual things with that person. I, I wanted someone who was loyal, who was faithful, who was trustworthy and true. I, I wanted someone who, who wasn't afraid to, to stand up to me and tell me when I was blowing it. But I also wanted someone, and I get this, I also wanted someone who didn't want to fight with me to the death. That they had the ability to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And, and I would have the ability to say, I'm sorry, I, I, I was wrong. I wanted someone who was kind, 
and compassionate. And, and I wanted somebody who was smoking hot. And, 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 and God took care of that for me. Now, my wife didn't have a clue what she wanted, so she ended up with me. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's, <laughs> that's not true. Having a picture of what you're looking for not only shows you the person that you're looking to bring into your life, but it also gives you a picture of the person that you need to be. See, let's say one of your values is you want someone who's going to be trustworthy. Well, then you got to ask yourself, am I trustworthy? Because I can't expect God to bring someone in my life who's trustworthy if I'm not being trustworthy. I mean, if I'm a liar, if I'm an exaggerator, why, why would God align myself with someone who isn't a liar and who isn't an exaggerator? So it starts with me, right? The things that I want, i got to make certain that I have these things in my life. Do you understand how this works in marriage for those of you who have already chosen the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with? You say, oh, you're so focused on what they're not doing. What, you need to focus on yourself. What, what am I not bringing to the table? What am I not doing that I said that I would do? What vision of me being a husband or a wife am I slacking on? Because it begins with you. It doesn't begin with what they're doing wrong or what they're not accomplishing or what the needs that they're not meeting for you. It's about what you're bringing to the table. See, I, I, I wanted someone who I could have deep conversations with. But if, if all you got is superficial conversations, if you can't talk about deep things, then why would you expect God to bring somebody in who has a desire to have deep conversations? You have to have that ability as well. For me, the number one non-negotiable was they had to love Jesus with everything that they had, which meant that I had to love Jesus with everything I've got. Because the Bible warns about this stuff of being unequally yoked, being with someone who's not a believer, Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? This, this was huge for me. Why was it huge for me? Because the world we live in is a hard, cold, cruel place. Throughout the course of your life, when you get married, understand there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be trials, there's going to be trouble, and there's going to be heartache. I wanted someone I could pray with. I wanted somebody who loved the Word of God, who leaned on the Word of God and sought the Word of God for counsel. I, I wanted somebody who could give me good spiritual advice so I would be a little clearer on the direction that, that I needed to go. I needed somebody who would pray for me, who would encourage me, who would show me the love of Christ in their words and in their actions, and which meant that I had to be that same person. I wanted someone who wanted Jesus to be the centerpiece of our home. And it wasn't just a saying. That we'd read the Bible together and pray together. We'd have family devotionals together. And we'd do all these spiritual things. We'd go to church together. Now, now some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Because right now you're watching me in your living room and you're watching me alone. Your spouse isn't in there because they're not interested. Or you came here today and you're here alone because your spouse could care less about spiritual things. And, and you would give anything. I mean, you love them so much you would give anything if they cared about the same things you cared about. And you kind of feel ripped off a little bit, don't you? Because the most important thing in your life, which is your relationship with Jesus, you can't share with the person that you love the most on the face of this earth. 
And I can only imagine how hard that must be. When God is sharing with you some truth or some insight and it just blows you away, you can't go to your spouse and say, hey, look at this. We need to work on that. How about this? When God answers a prayer, you can't go in there and say, hey, let's rejoice together. God answered that prayer because they're not interested. And you would give anything if your spouse loved Jesus the way that you love Jesus. You would give anything if they would worship with you. That you could have Jesus be the very centerpiece of your relationship. And so young people, single people, listen to me. Take the spiritual aspect of your life and your relationship very, very seriously. Or you're going to end up with regret. And every person that I've ever met who married and at the time in their life when they got married, one of them was kind of somewhat a Christian and the other one didn't care at all and the other one got fired up for Christ and the other one still doesn't care. Every one of them wishes it was different. And every one of them would look you in the eye and say, this matters. This is an issue that never, ever goes away. So make sure you have this in your relationship before you walk down an aisle and you say, I do to somebody. Let me give you the third thing that we got to work on. we got to get a great definition of what dating is. We have to explain to our kids what the purpose of dating is. See, a lot of kids think that the purpose of dating, a lot of single adults think the purpose of dating is just to go out and have a nice time. That's not the purpose of dating. The purpose of dating is to find your soulmate. The purpose of dating is to find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And so very early on in the dating relationship, you need to be asking some very important questions. And you need to be observing this other person to see if this is someone that you could see yourself spend the rest of your life with. You have to formulate some questions, critical questions. And then when a red flag comes up, you need to pay attention to the red flag. Now, I'm going to help you out. I've written some questions down that I think that we need to, to deal with, okay? First one is this. Where is the person I'm dating in their relationship with God? Now, I just went on a five-minute tirade. I'm not going to continue to go, but I cannot tell you how important that is. So if you're dating somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, that relationship's going nowhere. Unless they give their life to Christ and say, well, I'm going to be a missionary dater. Yeah, okay, good luck with that. Uh, that usually doesn't work out. And here's the reason it doesn't work out, because you never know for certain if the person gave their life to Christ because of you or because of Jesus. And then you get married and you find out that it was for you, so he could get you or she could get you. And they never really cared and they never were sincere and now they don't care a thing about it. Find somebody who already is seeking after God with everything they've got. Let me give you the next one. How, how do they treat other people? Are they rude? Uh, do they act like they're better than everybody else? Do they have a pride issue? How, how do they handle themselves? How do they, handle, how do they treat their, their parents? That, that'll give a great indication of how they're going to treat you. How do they treat their mom? How do they treat their dad? How do they treat their brother and their sister? What do they say about them? How do they handle themselves with that? How about this? How do they treat you? They build you up, make you feel better about yourself. They encourage you and inspire you. Or no matter what you do, it just isn't, isn't good enough for them. See what I mean? These are good questions to ask. How about this one? When things don't go their way, how do they respond? Do they, do they run into their room and they get all quiet and do the silent treatment? They don't want to talk to anybody. Is that what they do? They pout. 
Or do they let it rip? And they cuss at you and they yell at you and they go crazy on you. Is that, is that who you want to be with? How, how do they handle that? How about this one? How do they handle conflict? Do, do they have the ability, because you're going to have conflict in relationships. I don't care how good your relationship is. You're not always going to see eye to eye with someone else. So are, are they able to address the problem rather than attacking the person? Can they sit down, have a mature conversation, come to reconciliation, and move forward? Or do they hold a grudge? How about this one? Are they trustworthy? Do you believe them? Are they honest? Are they faithful? So you got to get a definition of what dating is all about. And these are the kinds of questions you ask early on in the relationship. And why early on? Because you won't get your heart broken as bad. Because when you begin to realize, oh my goodness, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't the person I thought that they were. Then you get out of the relationship early on and you don't have to worry about it. You didn't give your heart away to another person. And you didn't waste a lot of time. Because what are you seeking? You're seeking for God's best in your life. And we got to teach our kids to look for God's best. Let me give you the fourth one. We need to teach folks to set boundaries up front when they start dating someone. I started off the talk by saying this. Most of us in this room, most of us at home, wouldn't want our kids to emulate the way that we dated. I know I wouldn't. So we got to talk to them about setting boundaries. And, and they have to have courage to do it. So somebody calls uh, you know, your daughter on the phone or your son on the phone. Nowadays, you know, girls can call a guy. You know, um, First date, they get in the car. First thing they should say is, hey, I just want you to know I'm a Christian. And that means a lot to me. That's not like I'm a Christian. It's not that big of a deal. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I want to honor him in this relationship. So I won't be holding your hand. And when you walk me to the door tonight, you don't need to worry about kissing me because I'm not kissing you. I'm here to develop a friendship with you with the possibility that this friendship would grow into something even greater than that. And maybe we would end up being soulmates. But it begins with friendship, not with lust. And if the person doesn't like that, go ahead and get out of the car because they weren't worth your time anyway. See, we got to teach our kids that when they give themselves away to somebody else, they give a piece of themselves away. And they'll have lifetime regrets. Four things are affected when we blow it in this area of our life. Uh, The first thing that's affected is our worship. When we're not honoring God in the relationship, it's hard to come into this place or to tune us in and to really focus on Jesus and because you know that there's a major area of your life that's not under his control. It's the, the double life ain't much of a life at all, is it? So it'll affect your worship. It'll also affect your self-worth because you'll look in the mirror and you'll hate yourself. And you'll say things like, I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. You're worthless. You're useless. God could never love you. God could never forgive you. God could never care about you. And then it's going to crush your witness because people are watching us. And when we say one thing and we go off and we do the other, people don't take Jesus very seriously. And then it also affects your wedding. And I don't even need to get into that. Your girlfriend uh, is not your wife, and your boyfriend is not your husband. 
Someone right now is dating your future spouse, so it might be you, it might not. So here, here's the question. How do you want that guy to treat your future wife? Do you want her, him to hold her hand? Do you want him kissing her? Do you want him touching things that he doesn't have? See, these are the conversations we have to have. And you've got to start young. Because the, the, the wave against this, the wave against everything I've shared with you is so great and so crushing. And, and if they do it like everybody else does it, they will have tremendous, tremendous regrets. I know some of your parents are like, well, my kid gets a teenager and they start dating. They don't care what I think. They don't care what I say. They, they, don't, want, they don't want to tell me anything. I understand. I get that. You can still engage in conversation. And even if they try to shut you down every single time, it's still your job as a parent to bring it up. It's still your job to have the hard conversation, even though they're not mature enough to have it just yet. Because they'll pick up seeds of it along the way. And that's what you're doing. You're planting seeds of godliness, of living a God-honoring life. And if you're living a God-honoring life, they'll see it. And your life will become so attractive to them that eventually, as the oxygen returns to the brain, they'll start listening to you. And to know that you're there to forgive them when they blow it. That you never give up on them. That you keep believing the best in them. You show them the love and the grace and the wisdom of God. And you walk with them through this minefield. If you do that, parent, you'll be a pretty good stinking parent. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this was a tough one right here because um, we've all messed up and we've all blown it and we all have regrets. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, your grace would overwhelm us that you would cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And that you'd remember our sin no more. I pray for single adults. I pray for teenagers who are just struggling with this area of their life and they're trying to figure it out and they, they just don't know up from down, left from right. I pray for moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and pray, though, that we would all be one unified front to help them, to guide them, and to lead them into your truth. Lord, I pray something that was said today was helpful, beneficial. And Lord, if there's somebody in a relationship that's not honoring to you, I pray, God, you would give them the strength to get out of it. And to start over again, start fresh again from that dating relationship. And Lord, I pray for marriages that are struggling because we're more focused on what the other person isn't doing rather than on ourselves. I pray, Lord, we would look in the mirror at ourselves and say, how can I bring my A game to this relationship? How can I love and care and forgive and be patient and kind like you have been to me? How can I express that onto my spouse? Lord, I pray for any marriage that's struggling that we would stop waiting for the other person to make the first move and that we would make the first move instead. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.